Be seated. What a wonderfully encouraging time to be uh, singing together as the Lord's people gathered here. Um, that was an encouragement to my heart and my soul. I hope it was an encouragement to you as well as we were able to sing together. My name's Tim. I'm one of the pastors here and uh, we get to spend some time together in God's Word today. Um, if you want to open your Bible to Ephesians chapter 5, we're going to be reading from verse 22. Uh, but just before we read that passage, uh, this morning's passage opens about three cans of worms. Uh, so... Just want to um, front load this sermon a little bit. Uh, the church has existed for centuries. Um, and in every culture the church has existed in, the culture surrounding it has rejected particular parts of what God's word says to be true. Think back to the first century. None of us existed then, but try and think back to it anyway. The surrounding culture wanted everyone to call Caesar Lord, to treat him as the ultimate authority, to bow to him, but Christians held fast to the truth. There is only one Lord, and we bow down to only one, the risen Lord Jesus. Today, the surrounding culture wants us to do something slightly different. The surrounding culture wants us to ditch the sexual ethics of the Bible and to adopt a more progressive and modern sexual ethic. So, to be utterly counter-cultural... I want to state very clearly up front what our convictions are around those things. Just really clearly, uh, the upside of that is that it will be clear. The downside of that is that I won't be able to anticipate all the questions you might have and respond to them here. But I want you guys, if this is something that opens up lots of questions or doubts or con concerns, come and ask questions. As your elders, we want to care for your souls. We want to love and care for you. And so please come and talk to us. Uh, and worth noting also that these are things that run as assumptions throughout Ephesians chapter 5. So that's why we're bringing that up here. So firstly, the Bible is clear that God created humanity as male and female. Both equal in dignity, worth and freedom before the Lord. Both equally created in the image of God. Yet distinct, both in biology and in gender, but also in responsibilities and in roles. A passage this morning calls upon men to play a particular role in marriage and women to play out a different role. God created humanity, male and female, in his image. That's the first assumption in the passage we're going to read. The second one is the Bible is clear about what marriage is. Marriage is the uniting of one male and one female in an exclusive, lifelong, loving relationship. There's lots, there's lots to be said on both of those things. But here's just two things that I want us to hear before we get started in our particular passage. First one is this. If you're with us this morning... Uh, and in your personal experience, the Bible's teaching on gender and marriage does not align with your experience of life. 
either because you're experiencing some kind of gender dysphoria or a different sexual orientation to what the Bible presents, up front, we just want to say that you are welcome here. We, we really commend you for your boldness for coming to a church where you probably know that we're going to disagree with you on that front. We want this to be a place where you can come and hear the message of Christianity because the message of Christianity is good news for you. The Lord Jesus wants to extend love and grace to you and he wants to invite you to come and get to know him. We're glad you're here. We want to get to know you. We want to love you and we want to help you on your way to knowing Jesus. Number two, if you call yourself a Christian, particularly if you call this church your home, at a time like this, the pressure to fold on your Christian convictions can be strong. People at school, at uni, the workplace, online, can make you feel like what you believe is outdated or irrelevant. I just want to encourage you in your souls with some of these words from Psalm 19. It tells us that the word of the Lord is more to be desired than gold. It's sweeter than honey, than the drippings of the honeycomb. And that includes the parts that our culture doesn't like. There is life to be found in God's word. Be confident in it. As a bit of a side note, we've recently rolled out Safe Ministry Check here at GBC. It's an online system for training people and checking people so that the appropriate people are put in positions of care and leadership uh, so that we can appropriately care for the vulnerable people amongst us. As I understand it, some people may have had concerns that our decision to adopt Safe Ministry Check uh, may lead us towards a position where we eventually compromise on these biblical convictions. I want to say that if, if you have those concerns, I'm not trying to like squash those concerns. If you have those concerns, then they're worth coming and raising. I'm not trying to say you can't have questions or doubts. But I do just want to take the time to assure you that we are not budging. We, your elders, are resolutely committed to what the scriptures teach about gender and marriage. And how couldn't we be? The Word of God is our life. It's our fuel and it's our foundation. As a church, we would become nothing without the Word of God. And so to compromise on the Word of God would be the first step towards seeing us fade. Now that I've opened all the cans of worms, let's read the very Word of God together now. Ephesians 5 verse 22 through to verse 33. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its saviour. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, Love your wives, as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, 
that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes, cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Let's pray. Our great God, your word is our life. Would you push us in your word now as we come and sit under it, hear what it has to say to us, and Father, please implant your word deep in our hearts that we might become more like your son, Jesus. Give us your spirit, pour him out amongst us now uh, that we might hear what it is you have to say to us today and to respond with faith and repentance full of hope and love. Father, particularly we pray for those amongst who may be feeling like they, in their own personal experience, don't align with what the Bible teaches on some of these things we've, we've raised already. Father, please make yourself known to them. And particularly, Father, might they know your comfort. Help us to love them. Help us to care for them. Help us to help them uh, find Jesus. We ask this in the Lord's name. Amen. She grew up on a farm. Her horse was her best friend. Growing up for her meant work on the farm. She learned about hard work and about everyone pitching in. She met him at a housewarming party in 1988 and the pair made plans to be married in January 1991. But the wedding was postponed when he got what she has since described as cold feet. Her response was to go travelling in Europe. He subsequently followed her there and proposed marriage for a second time and the two got married. Fast forward the clock, 31 years. You could imagine this couple settling into retirement with a well-earned superannuation, enjoying the golden years with children and grandchildren. But sadly, not the case. Andrew, and better known as Twiggy and Nicola Forrest, separated two months ago after 31 years of marriage. What was a romantic beginning, a massive wealth of $32 billion collectively, their marriage has ended in separation. So here's the question. If a romantic backstory and crazy wealth don't secure a happy, long-lasting marriage, what will? Ephesians 5, our passage for this morning, wants to build into our marriages the necessary foundations for a marriage that glorifies Jesus and maximizes our joy. And this is God's word for you, whatever your experience of marriage has been. 
because you're either married or you might know people who are married or perhaps you used to be married or perhaps one day you will be married. The word of the Lord here is for all of us. It was great to have Ed Surrey preach for us last week, wasn't it? I saw him during the week and passed on our gratitude to him. I hope you were encouraged this past week to continue living out what we heard from God's word, to walk with gospel wisdom, to make the best use of your time, not to be foolish and drunk with much wine, but to be filled with the Spirit. That's the context of our passage this morning. We're going to see what Spirit-filled living looks like in the different relationships of authority and submission. Verse 21, uh, the section that we finished last week, ended with submitting to one another out of reverence from, for Christ. Then from 5.22 through to chapter 6, verse 9, those relationships are spelled out explicitly. Wives and husbands, children and parents, slaves and masters. And let's get into it. Paul starts by addressing the wives. Verse 22, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. So here we go, opening up can of worms number three. Wives, God wants you to submit to your own husbands. And he wants you to do this as to the Lord. How do you submit to the Lord in your marriage? By submitting to your husband. Why? Verse 23, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its saviour. Now, when the Bible says the husband is the head of of the wife, just like Christ is the head of the church, we need to be really clear about what that does mean and what that doesn't mean. This doesn't mean that men are like Christ in the way that Christ is God. Husbands, you are not God. And this doesn't mean that men are like Christ in the way that he is the king of the universe. See, we all need to bend the knee to the Lord Jesus to be utterly obedient to him because he is the king. Husbands, you are not the king of your wife. Notice something with me, a, a key detail from the passage that we've been reading. Chapter 6, verse 1, children, obey your parents. Chapter 6, verse 5, bond servants, obey your masters. But 5.22, wives, submit to your husbands. Really clearly up front, wives, this doesn't mean that you submit, uh, sorry, obey your husbands. Submitting is something different to obeying. So, the husband's headship cannot mean royalty, they're a king, or divinity, they're God. So, what does it mean? Well, I think it's got two meanings that we're going to see this morning. Firstly, that there is an ordering of authority, or a better word in my opinion that captures its meaning is responsibility in a marriage given to the husband. Meaning the husband ought to take ownership, not of the wife, but of the marriage. If there are problems in the marriage, the husband ought to be the one to notice it. And together with his wife, 
seek out a way to move forward. But more on that later. Secondly, the husband is the head of the wife in the same way that a head is one flesh with the rest of its body. Heads, I don't know if you've noticed this, are connected to bodies. Bodies need a head, heads need bodies. There's a one flesh union between a head and a body. So the head, the husband, ought to care for the body, the wife, as though she were him, his very own self. Which I think is why Paul includes that bit there at the end of verse 3, and is himself its saviour. It's not that wives are somehow damsels in distress and that they're just waiting for a heroic husband to come along and save them. But it's talking about the orientation of the husband towards the wife. It's one of self-giving, like that of a saviour, like that of our Lord Jesus. But more on that later also. So, the wife is to submit to her husband as though she were the body to a head. And what does that actually mean? Well, I think it means this. I think it means giving space and opportunity for the husband to lovingly care and take responsibility of a marriage. It's a coming alongside the husband to help and support him in his role in that. And in this way, men and women, equally made in the image of God, equally free, independent, individual beings, complement each other. There's a beauty and a wonder to God's design for marriage. And to make sure we secure this beautiful complementarity, I'm going to restate some things that this submission is not. Because there are many ways that these verses have been misused and weaponized against women, even used as a license for abusing women. So just to be clear, here is everything that submission to a husband is not. It is not obedience. It is not permission for a dictatorship or control where a husband just gets to make decisions in complete isolation from his wife. It's not silence. It's not permission for a husband to use his position of responsibility uh, to satisfy his own selfish ambitions. It's not an ordering of worth and dignity as though the husband is somehow worth more or more dignified than a woman. No, they're equal. And it's not a comment on how women need to respond to other men outside her marriage. Notice there in verse 22, Submit to your own husband, not to other men. And last one, it's not an indication that women are less capable of leading. It's not a comment on how competent men and women are. This is God's design for marriage. So wives, having clarified what submission is and isn't, what would it mean to bake this into your marriage? And I should really say up front, I'm not a wife. So I hope you guys can see what's being said here is coming out of God's word. And I hope that you can take this away and see how you can make this a part of how you live out your life in marriage. But the first thing to say is this. 
is that things like criticism and contempt are probably out of place as a wife. Now, to be clear, I'm not saying that you can't uh, help a husband see where they're falling short and, and speak with them in that way. But to criticise them and to have, show contempt toward the, towards them, I think is out of place. But it's not only out of place, it's also completely unproductive. You see, in the same way that men are not called upon to ensure their wives submit to them. Did you notice that? Paul doesn't tell the husbands to make sure their wives are submitting to them. In the same way, wives, God is not calling you to make sure your husband is giving up his life for you. Your husband will have to take that up with God himself. You can certainly help. You can certainly show him things that he's doing, that he's doing to be better in that role, but it is not your responsibility to make him love you. And so I think criticism and contempt for your husband even if they are falling short of what they are called to, is not helpful. There's a different word used for submit in verse 33. Uh, If you look down there, let the wife see that she respects her husband. If you are a wife, I want you to take a question home with you today for you to honestly evaluate how you relate to your husband in marriage. And here's the question. On a scale of one to five, how respected do you think your husband's in your marriage? How respected do you think your husband feels in your marriage? And that question will raise all sorts of other questions. It will raise questions like, well, uh, yeah, what, what things could I be doing that's lowering that number? and that I could stop doing What's maybe one or two things that could help me push that number a little bit higher? How respected do you think your husband feels in your marriage? And some of you, if you're feeling bold, could even have a go at asking your husband that question. But I'm going to leave that decision in your capable hands. Side note on this, Uh, This is addressed to wives, but this also has implications for a wider audience of us. Not all of us are wives, not even amongst the women, all of us, all of you guys are wives. But you guys offer a supportive role to people you do know who are wives. You know people who are younger than you who may one day become a wife. You may have children, you may have daughters who one day will become a wife. So these are all things helpful for you to take on board as you offer wise counsel to others as well. Let's shift gear. Verse 25, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. About three years ago, a husband and wife were out surfing off the coast of Port Macquarie in New South Wales. Completely blindsided, a two to three metre great white knocked the wife off her surfboard. She was lucky enough to be able to pull herself back onto the surfboard uh, in time for when the shark came back for a second hit. So she avoided being pulled down under, but the great jaws of the shark clamped down onto her left calf muscle. 
The husband was two meters away, but he, he lunged as quickly as possible onto his wife's surfboard. Once he was aboard, heroically, he started punching the shark in the head, aiming for the eyes, doing everything possible to get this shark off his wife. Finally, the shark released its grip and the husband ensured his wife made safe return to the shore. Here's a husband who willingly put his own life in danger for his wife who was close to death, laying down his own life for his wife's. Husbands, would you do it? Would you jump into action like that, putting your own life in danger to save your wife? To be honest, I don't think I know a husband who would say no to that. When the rubber hits the road, when a predator or an enemy threatens a wife, those are the moments that draw out this protective instinct of a husband, a good and right instinct for a husband to have in those moments. However, for most husbands, maybe all, a moment like this will rarely, if ever, present itself, sadly. And the call of Jesus to lay down your life is not just for these moments, but in the minutes, the hours, the weeks that make up the mundane and ordinary components of your life together with your wife. So here's some harder questions for you. Would you empty the dishwasher for your wife? Would you go along and be pleasant towards your in-laws for your wife? Would you dare to try and be romantic for your wife? The Lord Jesus calls husbands to lay down their lives for their wives. And Paul here in our passage presents two ways that we're meant to do that. We're going to quickly look at verse. The first one is in verse 25 to 27. You are called to love your wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Why did Jesus do this? Well, verse 26 and 27, that he might sanctify her, that he might present the church in splendor, that she might be holy and without blemish. There's really a lot here that we don't have time to drill down on everything. But what's the point here? Plain and simple, Jesus gave up his life so that his bride would flourish. What's the backstory of Christ's bride, the church? Dead in their sins, hostile towards him, children of wrath. Talk about baggage. Now, sanctified, washed, beautiful, without a spot, without blemish, primed and ready for an eternity with God. In the same way, husbands, you are called to lay down your own interests for the sake of your wife to be devoted to your wife's flourishing, not fading. Secondly, verses 28 to 32, you are obligated to love your wife as though she were your own flesh and blood. From the end of verse 28, he who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, and why is this? Well, have a look at verse 31. It's a quote from Genesis 2:24, where the very first wedding of history took place. And what is it that happened in marriage? Right at the end there. 
the two became one. Like one body, one entity. wonder if you've ever had the experience of getting an itch right in the middle of your foot. You have your shoes on and you can't rub it, you can't rub it on your other foot because you're wearing your shoes. But your whole body with utter determination bends down, rips off the shoe, throws it aside and starts scratching a hole in your foot until the relief comes, don't you? Or perhaps you've had the feeling of pain in your chest, perhaps a tightness that comes together with a pain that spreads through your shoulder or arm, the sign of something going wrong with your heart. Don't you put everything aside to ensure you get the treatment your heart needs? In the same way, husbands, you are to care for your wife as though she were your own body. Two key words I want us to pick up on from this passage. Halfway through verse 29. Nourish and cherish. To nourish is to physically nurture, to provide for the needs of. To cherish is to extend emotional warmth. This, of course, is how we treat our own bodies. And shockingly, it's how Christ treats us, his church. But husbands... This is how you ought to treat your wife. Nourish and cherish. This means tender, warm, loving care towards your wife. Listening to your wife. Being attentive and sensitive to your wife's needs. Even romance. The question isn't, am I good at romance or am I good at these things? The question is, are these things important to her? And if it's important to your wife, it ought to be important to you. She is your own flesh and blood. Now, it probably goes without saying that any kind of abuse is a severe corruption of what the Lord calls husbands to. And to be frank, if left unrepented of, it's an evil that the Lord of glory will deal with severely on the day of his return. It is completely out of place. But there is another corruption to the role of a husband. It's not as severe as uh, abuse, but it is far more common. And that is domestic passivity. It's the attitude that says, if I leave it long enough, my wife will get it done. It's the attitude that says, housework, housework and parenting belong to the wife. Husbands... That attitude we need to hear from the Lord is not what it means to lay down our life for a wife. We are called to treat her as our very own flesh and blood. And I've got to tell you, I've not been the shining example of how to do this well. But here it is, the call of the Lord on our lives. So a question for the husbands. On a scale of one to five, 
How nourished and cherished does your wife feel in your relationship with her? How nourished and cherished does your wife feel in your relationship with her? If you're feeling bold, you might ask your wife. But I'm going to leave that in your capable hands. Let's bring this to a close. Verse 32, this mystery is profound. And I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. All along, marriage is ultimately not about you or even your own marriage. But it's about the marriage. The marriage between Christ, the Lord of glory, who found his bride dead in sin, hostile to God, laid down his life for her, determined he went to the grave. In victory he rose again. He gave her new life, made her holy, blameless, washed her with the word. He nourishes and cherishes her and will never let her go. The Lord calls us to live out the gospel in our marriages. And I can't help but feeling that that's a really high standard. We know that we're going to fall short, don't we? We're all works in progress. But the Lord is our husband. He loves us and will not let us go. And he's given us his spirit. And so dependent on him, we resolve to obey. Let's pray. Our loving Lord Jesus, you are the perfect husband. You nourish and cherish us, your church. You give us everything we need to flourish and not fade, to prepare us for an eternal life with you. And Father, we are going to fumble and fall our way towards eternity, seeking to be like Jesus, seeking to live out what he calls us to in marriage. And so, Father, we call, we call out to you and ask for your help, the power of your spirit, the comfort of your presence, an assurance of your love and grace towards us. And, Father, we pray knowing that marriage has been an experience not entirely positive for everyone mixed experiences exist in this room and so father we pray for your healing hand upon marriages that you would help us to be a church that loves and cares for all people that lord you would help us to live out what you have called us to and we pray this all in the name of your son jesus amen